Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the last week of our Storytime series, and this month, we've been focusing entirely on a few stories that Jesus told, which are called parables. And uh, the first week, we talked about the marriage feast, and we talked about how everybody has an invitation to the celebration, uh, and it all depends on how, how we respond. The second week, we talked about the Good Samaritan, and while it is definitely about helping people in need and coming along and supporting people, it is also about getting rid of any prejudice that we have towards anybody, and how we should not have any prejudice towards people, but instead we should, we should be intentional on loving people and, and, uh, and supporting people. And then last week we talked about the parable of the sower, and, uh, and we asked, what type of soil are you? Are you, are, are you the, the path where seed is thrown on the path and it just comes and scarfed up by, by the birds? Are you rocky soil where maybe the seed takes root, but it's not deep and it sprouts up, but then it withers and dies? Are you the, are you the one with thorns where it gets caught up and we're distracted by everything that's going on? Or are we good, healthy soil that receives the good news and allows it to take root so that we can, we can grow? So if you missed any of those, you can go and check them out on, online and our podcast or YouTube page. But today... We're wrapping up with maybe the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. Um, I guess it's debatable, but I think so. And this parable has meant so much to so many, in, including myself. And as a preacher, you know, sometimes I need to preach on things that are not as fun to preach on, right? Like, I, there are times where it's like, okay, I need to talk about something that I don't really want to talk about. Maybe that's finances. You guys know how much I hate preaching on finances, but it's important, and we have to do it. Like, maybe it's a sex sermon. Don't worry. Not today. Whew, good one. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's like we need to talk about something difficult, a, a way that we're going about our life that, that, that we don't, that maybe we need to change some things, and it's some hard truths. Like, there are all these things that, that are not always that fun to preach on because of the emotional weight that can be involved with it. But today, this story, I could preach on this story every single week. Um, this story is, it, there are certain stories and certain topics where it's like, yep, this, this is easy to talk about. This is easy to preach on. And um, uh, it's just so important and so valuable. And so I'm talking about the parable of the prodigal son, which uh, I, I would imagine that you know, or I would imagine that you have heard if you are a Christian, if you've grown up in church. Um, and even if you haven't, you probably have heard this story somewhere along the ways. And if you haven't heard the story, if you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, no big deal. We're going to talk about it today, and we're going to, to explain it and, and figure some things out. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 15, and uh, we're going to read verses 11 through 31. Um, I left my Bible over in the other building, so I was like, oh, I better pull out my phone and pull up the Bible. Thank goodness it's 2024, right? So, the parable of the lost son, let me get my rocking chair, let me get comfortable and show off my raven socks that I got on here, okay? This is what it says, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth 
and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I would imagine that you know the story, but when I, when I read this story, for me, immediately my mind just goes to home, and home is, is, is a word that can mean different things to different people. Maybe, maybe for you, the idea of home is, uh, is positive. If you're like me, when I think of home, it's a good feeling. It's warm. It's welcoming. It's the people who know me and accept me. It's the people who know me best. And not only do they accept me, but they love me on my good days and, and on my bad days. It's people that, that I can relate to. And I believe that a lot of us fall into this category of thinking of home. And maybe, I don't know where you're at, maybe you're older in life and, and you're thinking back to your childhood home, or maybe you're thinking back to going to your grandparents' house or, or whatever it is. Or maybe you're, you're a little bit younger and you're like, I'm trying to get away from home a little bit right now. We all fall in, in different places. But to me, when I think of home, it's positive. However, there are some people who don't view home as a positive thing. And um, maybe it's a difficult place. Maybe, maybe it's a negative place for you. Maybe, maybe you grew up in, God forbid, an abusive environment. Maybe you grew up in a broken home. And it wasn't always the happiest. It wasn't always the most welcoming place. And maybe, maybe for you, home only brings bad, memory, bad memories and reminders of failure in your life or in the life of, of your family. And maybe because of that, you've said to yourself, I need to get as far away from home as possible. 
I, I don't want to stay in this, in this environment because this environment is not healthy for me. And that's very true because we live in a world that is broken. And unfortunately, not every home is the way home should be. So I'm not sure where you fall, whether it's positive or, or whether it's negative, but I want you to know, and I, I hope that you know, that you always have a home, and it's not in a building. It's not, it's, not, it's not a physical structure, but you always have a home. I mean, that's one thing that our church has learned, has it not? I mean, the amount of buildings that we've been in over our almost eight years of existence now, coming up in March, the amount of homes that we've been in, we had to discover pretty quickly, okay, started meeting in elementary school, we obviously didn't own that place. Um, that was, the, you know, that was, that was something. And um, it worked for us because we understood it's not a building. And then when we couldn't meet for a whole year, I don't know how many of you, well, I know a lot of you were around for that, but I don't know how many of you remember that well. And if you weren't around for that, there was literally, obviously during the pandemic, um, an entire year when we did not have one single Sunday morning service from March to March of 2020 to 2021. That didn't feel very good. That wasn't very fun. And then going to a movie theater. <laughs> that was the worst, right? And um, that wasn't fun either. And then going to the barn, and that was much better, and, uh, but still was difficult. And now having an actual, we feel like, home, right? Like, this feels like home to me now. I hope that this feels like home to you now. For those of you who, who are a part of Countryside, I hope that this still feels like home to you. And for those of you who, who are part of City on the Hill and coming into a new environment, I hope that this feels like home to you. Uh, but we understand, we understood a long time ago as a church, this has nothing to do with a building. Nothing to do with it. Buildings are great, but nothing to do with the building. Sometimes, some of us believe when we walk in the doors of a church like this, especially an older church like this, some people say, well, I got to change everything about myself when I walk through the threshold of this door. I can't talk the way that, that, I, that I talk. I can't act the way that I act. I got to be on my best behavior as if there's something special or unique about these walls. Now, there's a lot of history in here, and I'm not trying to diminish the, the, the things that have happened in this very room and, and the lives that have been changed in this very room. But the reality of it is, it isn't because of the walls or the floors or the ceiling. It's not because of any of that, but it's because of the people that fill it. It's because of the, the, the way that, that ministry has happened and the way that God has moved in this place. It has nothing to do with a building or a specific location. I want you to think back to your childhood home. Did your family like move or, 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 or change location a lot? Maybe you grew up in a military family and you went from location to location to location to location to location, but you still had a home and it wasn't your house, but it was your family. You still had a place that you could go back to. Maybe when you look back to, to your childhood home or, or your childhood in general, um, maybe, maybe it brings back some sentimental feelings or, or some nostalgia. Maybe if you ever go back and, and your parents are still in your childhood home, and when you go back and you walk in the front door, and then all these memories and nostalgia come back, and you're like, oh, this is home. This is, this is what I remember. 
we moved a few times when I was a kid to, to just two, two different homes. And now, and now, many of you know, but Lauren and I bought my childhood home. And so it's weird now living in the, the house that I grew up in. I, we moved there when I was in uh, second or third grade. So it wasn't when I was really young, but young enough. And, and I spent, that's, the house that I'm currently in is the house that I formed most of my memories. And it's weird. Like, it's a little strange at first when we moved into our, to my childhood home. It wasn't Lauren's childhood home, obviously, because that would be weird. But, <laughs> but my childhood home. And so it's strange. Like, it's a little weird being there. And now, like, looking at, at my daughter and, and Camden and my son, Russell, they share the room that my brother and I grew up in. I shared a room all my whole, whole childhood. Um, and, and now looking at them forming memories in the room that I formed memories in and like growing up in that place. And it's easy to get caught up in location. It's easy to get caught up in a specific place. And then all of a sudden we think that we are tied to that. And I'm sure, I'm sure that you remember the, the classic line of the Wizard of Oz, right? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. But the truth is, it has a lot less to do with location and a lot more to do with relationships, a lot more to do with people. So I hope that your home is special. It should be important. And if it isn't, I, I, I hope that you find that you still have a home. Because church should feel like home. It should. This, this should feel like a place that you walk in and you go, this is my people. This, this is my place. These are the people that I know, and these are the people who know me. These are the relationships that I'm forming in my life that are so very important to me. And if you walk into this place on a Sunday morning, and you look around, and you think, I just want to be here, but I really don't want to form any relationships, then this will never be your home until you make that decision. But, but the minute that all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be, is when you walk in and you look at the family sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you and you say, hey, I know you. How are your kids? Hey, this thing that you asked me to pray about last week, I've been praying about that. How are you doing? And they're asking you about the job interview that you had. And they're asking you about your relationships and things that are going on in your life. And all of a sudden, you're like, this is everything. But far too often, church can feel like the opposite of that. Church can be uncomfortable Church can be stuffy. It can be judgmental. Now, as a pastor of this church, I really hope that you don't feel that way. I don't believe that that is the case at this church, but I don't know your experiences all of the time. If that is your experiences, then we need to do some work. But home should be comfortable. It should be welcoming. But in addition to that, it should also be challenging. Sometimes we confuse comfort with laziness. And there's a big difference between the two. We're not called to be lazy in church. We're called to feel like we can be ourselves, but also walk away being like, I need to work on this. I need to think about this. So the church, really, what I'm getting at is should look a lot like the story of the prodigal son. This main character in the story, this younger son, is obviously, uh, with, with the younger son, uh, he... He gets a bad rap, but it's obviously intended. And we know that this is not a, a true story that happened. This is an example that Jesus is giving. But, but how many times does this happen in our world? 
This, this story still happens today. And it's obviously intended by the young son. He, we look at him and we're like, this, this guy, he's, this guy's young and dumb. And he 100% is. I, don't get me wrong. He made dumb decisions. He was literally everything that we see in an immature young person who when you're looking at them, you're like, oh, what are you doing? How many times have you done that? You looked at a young person who's grown up, you're like, hello, do you understand the decisions that you're making? Do you understand the choices that you're making that are, that are hurting you? Do you understand that? They're just being young and dumb. But guess what? At one point, you too were young and dumb. All of us were. All of us made bad decisions at some point or another. Now, some of us, we, we could all share stories if we wanted to and compare the bad decisions that we had made, but we'd be here all day, right? It would take so long, and a lot of us, so, a lot of us actually are even proud of our young and dumb decisions at times, as if it's a badge of honor. Some of us, and I'm, maybe not you, maybe not you, but, but I think some of us enjoy sharing our young and dumb decisions attention because we want people to, to to think oh that person was cool at one time or another that person they, they their life at one time or another was a little crazy now they're just like old and boring but like at one point at one point they were young and dumb and exciting because we seem to equate fun and excitement with bad decisions that's what we do a lot of times and then we even, think, we even think that we have to make those poor decisions in order to truly experience life. And sometimes we may even go a step further and encourage other young people, hey, just go and have fun and do all these things and make these poor decisions and, in the hopes of them learning from them. But it, is it really the smartest thing to do? So my point is this. It's easy to read this story and look down on the younger son like he's just some punk idiot. But at some point or another at, in all of our lives, we were the same. We made poor, poor decisions. But I think one of the biggest lessons that we miss about this story and how it applies to us is this. It is so easy to take home for granted. It's so easy. In verses 12 to 13, the younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. See, the younger son looked around and he did not realize what he had. He didn't realize it. He didn't realize the life that he had, the opportunity that he was blessed with. He, he missed it. Because the grass is always greener on the other side. We, we tend to believe, we tend to look around at other people and at other lives, or, or even, the, obviously social media does, uh, does, does a horrific job with this in our lives, but we look at things and we think, oh, look at that life, look at this experience, look at that, look at what this money bought, look at, look at all of this stuff, and here I am stuck in my life here. I need to get out of here because the unknown is often appealing. This is natural with young age. It's natural with immaturity because we all take our youth for granted. How can we not? 
It's all that we know. If you are an older person and you look at a younger person and you say to them, you're just taking your life for granted. It's like, obviously, they don't know anything else. This is the only experience that they have. This is the only life that they have up to this point. And the only way to get experience is, guess what? To have experience. That's the only way. There's there's no other way. Now, some people are more mature at younger ages. Some people are old souls. Some people make better choices than others. But the reality of it is, the more that we experience about life, the more that we can realize how wrong we were about certain situations the more that we can realize, oh, maybe my parents weren't as bad as I thought. Maybe they knew a little bit more than I realized. Maybe my home situation was was a better situation than I I thought. Or what happens too is maybe we get to a place where we have experiences and and then we think, oh, maybe I need to show this person a little bit more grace because I fell short in this way. And maybe we aren't all perfect. But it's so easy to take our home for granted. I mean, when you were young, maybe in high school, college is right around the corner. It's an exciting time in life, is it not? How did you view your home? A lot of us view it as, I got to go. I, even if you have a great home life, I, have, I need to get out of here. Because I need to go form my own experiences. Were you thinking about how quickly you wanted to get out of town and move on and and get away from all those people that knew you too well? Because there's something appealing about going and nobody really knowing you. And then you can can maybe change some things about yourself that, that other people knew about you. Or maybe you were known for something when you were younger that everybody keeps bringing up. And you just wanted a clean slate. You just wanted to start over fresh. You didn't want all those other preconceived notions that everybody back home had about you. So we want to go somewhere else. And we all have opportunities to learn on our own. But it is scary when you are the parent or when you are the friend of someone who is is going through this experience and they're not making the best decisions. It is terrifying. I am not looking forward to the age when my children are getting ready to go off to college. I have a little bit of time. My oldest is seven, so. But tell you what, middle school is right around the corner, Nicole. <laughs> and then after middle school is high school, and then after high school is college, then I'm dead, right? Like that's the progression. So I, it's, <laughs> she said that's all. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole. We're in the same point in life, but she's a little bit ahead with the age of her kids. So anyways, um, we, but it is scary. It is so scary looking from the outside and seeing somebody else go through it. And we just want them to realize, oh, did, do you realize what you have? But here is the truth. It is critical for our development as people to have opportunities in life to make our own choices and then also deal with our own consequences. This is critical to our development as people. If you are kept in a bubble your entire life, and all of a sudden, everything that you do is in this little bubble, and then you have parents or other people or friends or whoever it is looking over you and protecting you from every little thing, and they think, we got to shield you from this, 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 which is necessary. It is necessary to do this. We need to protect 
our children, and we need to help them, but we also need to have discernment and understand that eventually, eventually, they are going to need to learn without me there. And that is difficult. Eventually, for the sake of their development, they're going to have to make wrong choices and learn from the consequences or not learn from the consequences and make those same choices again and suffer the same consequences again. It's necessary. Like, I want to protect my children from everything. I don't want anything bad to happen to them ever, ever. But sometimes I see one of my kids who are doing something and I'm like, they're about to fall flat on their face right now. And I have to let them. Physically sometimes, where they literally fall flat on their face. <laughs> and sometimes, figuratively, figuratively speaking, where I know if they keep doing this, this is going to hurt them. And as their dad, I have to sit there and let it happen. But if I step in every single time, then they're never going to learn. They're never going to grow. They're never going to improve. I would be doing them a disservice if I protected them from every little thing. Now, there are, like I said, there are things that need protecting. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying, hey, don't watch your kids. Like, you need to protect them. But there is a balance with this. We have to understand this. And what the younger son quickly discovered is this. There are a ton of things in this world that can be fun. But what does it matter if you don't have anybody around you who cares for you? What does it matter? I mean, he went out and lived it up. He went out and had the, the college experience, right? Which, by the way, I think that we need to stop encouraging our teenagers, to go and have the college experience. Now, I'm not saying don't get an education. You should get an education, okay? But I think that we are doing a disservice to our young people when we say, you haven't lived if you didn't get the quote-unquote college experience of partying and having fun and doing this and this and that and that and that. Like we think, oh, it, you need that in your life. You don't need that in your life. You don't. I mean, I... That's a whole nother sermon, so I'm going to leave it. <laughs> so, the son quickly discovered, he quickly discovered, man, I, I made a mistake here. He left home behind to do whatever he wanted to do, and he didn't consider what he already had. I talked about how our progression as a church and the different things that we've experienced, but, but let's, let's go back to the year 2020 again, just for a second. Yep, we have to, Nicole, because I'm the pastor. And um, <laughs> here's, here's a, that was a time where we all realized what we took for granted. Oh, my goodness. I never thought that I would lose so many privileges that I thought were like my right. Th things, things that we took for granted. Th things that, that make us ask ourselves, it should make us ask ourselves, well, what am I taking for granted now? 
Because sometimes what we do is we realize we took something for granted, and then we move on, we get it back, and we don't even think about the other things that we're taking for granted right now. We're not aware of them. But going back to 2020, I mean, it was, it, at first, it was like, huh, this is kind of nice, right? A couple weeks off of work, you know, maybe you don't have to do as much, maybe you didn't have to attend that meeting you didn't want to go to, or that event that you didn't want to attend, and, and then all of a sudden, it was like, okay, I'm ready for things to start back up. And I remember when it was first starting, and my wife, many of you know, works in a hospital, and she said to me uh, in the first few weeks, she was like, they're saying this could last to August. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> That's not happening. We all know the story. We don't need to rehash it all. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> but so many things we took for granted. Breathing. Being around other people, close to other people, right? Licking your fingers at the grocery store to open the produce bag. <laughs> and you know what? That's one good thing that came out of COVID. You should not do that, okay? <laughs> if you're licking your fingers in the grocery store and grabbing things, straight to jail. <laughs> but so many things that we took for granted, so many things that, that we, that it was just a part of our life, and now all of a sudden, it's gone? Now all of a sudden, we can't experience that? It is, it was a very weird feeling. But for the young, but for, for the young son, when we look down, all the things we look down at him on, there is something that we often overlook. He came to his senses. I mean, he was humbled. That, that humility stepped in, and it changed everything for him. And he was extremely humbled. And then all of a sudden, he recognized his mistake, and he owned it. And that is a whole other sermon in itself. That's why I say I could, you could preach on this for months, right? That's a whole other sermon in itself that I don't have time to go into. But he recognized his mistake. He owned his mistake. And he went back not expecting for things to go back the way that they were, but, ex but hoping to go back just to get a little bit of what he once had and earn it. He wanted to earn back the right to have a home. He wanted to earn back the right to have a life, to have opportunity. And when we see the reaction of the father, what we learn is that home is always waiting for you. I mean, that. While he was still a long way off, meaning his dad was sitting there, waiting, looking, hoping, maybe today he comes home. Maybe today he comes home. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I mean, this, this, is, why, this is why this story is so very important, because this helps us to realize that all of my young and dumb choices, all of my decisions that I've made, all of the mistakes that I've made throughout my life, good, the good decisions I've made, the bad decisions I've made, all of it, none of it matters because Jesus is waiting for me. And all that I have to do today, today, is to run to him. Maybe yesterday you didn't. Maybe last week you didn't. Maybe you never have in your life run back to him. But today, I'm going home. Today, I'm running back to him. And Jesus is sitting on the porch waiting. 
every single time. And the thing is, Jesus doesn't make the decision for you. You make the decision. You make the choice. And when you do, home is waiting. And it is the greatest picture and example of the love and the grace that Jesus shows us. The greatest picture of it all. This has everything to do with who you are as a person and the purpose for your life. The God who designed you, who knows you, who knows every decision that you make, the God who loves you is waiting for you to turn around and come back home every single time. But it's our choice. See, home is waiting, and it doesn't stay in these doors. It goes everywhere. We, we cannot truly describe or understand or fathom the love that God actually has for us. Even the greatest picture of love that any of us could, could have, even the greatest example of love that any of us could have outside of Jesus, like we will never truly understand how great God's love is while we're here on this earth. We, we, we won't fathom it. Because it goes beyond all understanding. But it is the greatest decision that you could ever make. So maybe you've gone out and you've wanted that experience. Maybe you're the young son. Maybe you're the old son who's sitting here and who's mad that other people who have wandered away are now coming back home. Which again is a whole other sermon in and of itself. When I, I was talking to my brother about the sermon this week, and I, he was like, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the prodigal son. He said, no, it's the prodigal sons. It's both of them. And I was like, okay, you're annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but he's right. Don't tell him I said that. He's right. It's the prodigal sons, not the prodigal son. And it's the prodigal daughters. Because it's all of us. No matter where you are. There is a home waiting for you. Accept it. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And today we have the joy and the privilege of receiving communion together. You should have received a communion cup when you walked in. If you did not, Pastor Nicole, just raise your hand. Pastor Nicole will bring you some. And there's also gluten-free options if you need that. Um, but when it comes to communion... It is so very easy for us to just do this, just, just lose sight of it, and we're just kind of going through the motions. This, my friends, is a holy moment. This is a sacred time. And when we're talking about the prodigal son, and when we're talking about the love that, that Jesus has provided for us and the grace that is there for us, and we understand the sacrifice that was made on our behalf while we were out in the streets living wild, while we were making all the wrong choices, while we were still the enemy of God, not because he made us an enemy, but because we chose to be an enemy, while we were doing all of those things, do you know what Jesus was doing? He was laying down his life for us. All the time, David. He was laying down his life for us. 
So when we receive communion together and when we break the body together and we recognize the sacrifice that was made and when we receive the juice and we recognize the blood that was shed, friend, this is, this is not something that we just do casually, but this is something that we do because it is a life-changing moment. It is a holy moment. It is a moment that goes beyond everything that we could understand and we are saying, God, you are enough for me. You are enough for me all the time. The only rules that we have at our church when, in regards to receiving communion, you don't have to be an owner of our church or a member of our church. You, you don't have to have been at church your entire life. All you have to be is somebody who just said, Jesus, I, I, I want you. I need you. I believe that you are who you say you are. And when that's the case, you're welcome at the table. You're welcome. Just like you're welcome home. So get rid of everything else that's holding you back hand it over to him. Amen. So we're going to sing. And while we're singing, we're not going to receive communion yet. I'll lead us in communion after we sing. And um, just pray. Talk to God. Ask God in what ways you need to return back to him. Don't hold back. Right? Let's stand and let's sing together.